When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Mastery Mindset Podcast, the spot, the hub to get your mind right. You can't just train the body, Lauren. You got to train the mind. Right. And we have a special guest. We have a mental performance coach. You could probably give me a better title with the Yankees, Lauren Johnson. She has an amazing challenge right now. Is it too late to get in on your challenge online? Um, I'm actually in the process of revamping it, so we'll be back soon. Okay, but we have one of the industry leaders on teaching mental skills, and I'm so pumped to to check in. Also, being a father of four daughters, uh, Lauren is really a thought leader in this space, and uh, I'm just so excited to connect and to learn more. Lauren, what's up? Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so excited to be here. So so excited to to be able to chat with somebody like you. You crush it yourself in the field, so it's so much fun to have just I don't know a conversation with with somebody that speaks the same language. Yeah, well, let's just talk about, we kind of mentioned a little bit pre, like, how are you doing emotionally, mentally, uh, transitioning your role to being virtual and not being in the field, like, yeah. like, like, like you normally were? Yeah, it's a transition for sure. I think that all of us that have gotten into this field, they did it because they didn't want to sit at a desk. So I think that part of it is um, kind of what we teach our athletes, like things aren't always going to go the way that you want. So at some point, you're just going to have to accept it. And the sooner you can accept it, the sooner you can get on with doing the work that you are meant to do. So for me, I've decided Zoom is my best friend and I'm on here every single day, multiple times a day connecting. And if nothing else, it's, you know, I think bringing us closer in a way that we're all bonding over the discomfort of not being on the field, of not being able to, to have the success the way that we're typically used to having it. Yeah. And it's kind of like this phrasing, what you focus on, you will find. So if you're focusing on being a victim and this sucks and you're going to experience this sucks and I'm a victim, if you can shift your perspective and say, how can I hunt the good stuff, find something good from this and use this as a time to learn and get better. But let's just talk about how you got started. I'd love uh, for the audience to learn your story as a, as, as a soccer player, um, had some injuries and then yeah, there's a moment at Starbucks, which is like so powerful. Maybe share that, that whole thing. Yeah. So like you said, grew up my whole life playing soccer, just fell in love with the sport. It was kind of like my, my oasis. And also it was the one place that challenged me and it didn't matter who you were, what your background was when you were on the field, everyone was treated the same. So I just, I I loved being on the field and playing and it was my senior year of college. Um, third game into my senior year, I received my fifth concussion and I had just come back from a pretty gnarly one in my junior year. So, um, my neurologist pretty much said, you know, Lauren, it's, it's not safe anymore for us to do this. He said, if you go out there and you get another concussion, I can't guarantee the damage won't be permanent. So I had to make that, you know, tough decision and uh, I had to kind of hang it up, but I was thankful enough to be on an awesome team that my coach was like, you're still part of the team. So, you know, be as, in, as, um, you know, par- participate as much as you can. So I did every practice I was out there, every game I was out there, but you know, it, it was hard, but I decided since I had some extra time, like I wasn't as drained from practicing and whatnot that to take a, uh, an extracurricular um, course. And so I found a course in sports psychology and I was the only person that signed up in the class. 
Um, so it was, it was interesting, but I, I fell in love with the content, but I think I fell in love with it because I was the athlete that needed it. I was the athlete that when I was reading this stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, imagine how you would have played or how you would have been able to free yourself up and get out of your own freaking way if I would have known this stuff. So I, I decided then like, that was like my passion. Like I totally fell in love with it and just had this like total, like, I just related to everything in it. So I decided I wanted to go on and get my master's degree in sports psychology. So I did. And then after my master's degree, like every eager grad student, I like couldn't wait to get my feet wet and like get into the field. And I had, I was pretty lucky to have two job offers by the end of my, um, of my master's degree. And, um, I, so I decided to take one and um, decline the other. But the, the thing with this job is they said, it's going to take about six months for you to get placed. And that was normal for the position. So I was like, you know what? No problem. That's, awesome. I'll get like another six months, like extended summer before I actually go into the real, real world. So six months goes by and I don't hear anything. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm confused. I'm like, okay, well, this is interesting. So I reach out to them and I'm like, Hey, uh, you know, just checking in to see, you know, when my placement's going to be. And I get an email and he says, Oh, I'm sorry. The job's no longer available. And so here I am, like, yeah, this grad student, like, couldn't wait to get going, turned down one job. By the way, now it's six months out from turning that job down. It's not like I can call them back and be like, hey, can I have it? So here I am with no job. I had moved. I, like, literally was like a fish out of water, had no idea where I was going. I was completely devastated. And so I decided, well, you know, there's, it's not like you can go on indeed.com and like look up sports psychology jobs. You know, they're just not, they're few and far between. So there wasn't, I did all my research and there just wasn't anything in the field available at the time. So I decided, well, I have to do something to make some money in the meantime. So I, I got a job at Starbucks and I'm, I'm like, there's this one day at Starbucks that completely changed my trajectory. And I was working the drive through and part of your job working the drive-thru is you don't make the drinks, but you, you interact with the customers and you keep them entertained until their drink is finished. So I'm talking to this guy and he, um, he asked me, oh, so are you in school right now? And I was like, oh, no, like, no, I'm not, but I, I just finished uh, my degree. And he's like, oh, that's great. What did you get your degree in? And I said, oh, like, excitingly, performance psychology. And he stops and just starts belly laughing like losing his breath belly laughing and I'm so confused that I finally had to ask him I said what's so funny and he said oh <laughs> you got one of those degrees you'll never use and Colin my mouth just dropped I mean I first of all I was so mad I wanted to grab his coffee and throw it in his face but it just made me so angry and I walked away and I had somebody else hand him his drink because I was so upset. And then throughout the day, it just kept coming up. I kept replaying it and ruminating about this. And I asked myself, finally, like, why does it, why does he matter? Why does this guy's opinion, why is it affecting you so much? And that's kind of when I had this aha moment and I realized I was mad not because he was rude, but because he was right. Hmm. Here I am with the degree that 
and I should, the degree that should be teaching people what to do when they get stuck, that you don't give up when you hit your first obstacle, that you don't turn around when you hit a roadblock, but you find a way and you keep going. And I was doing the very thing, the very opposite of the thing that I would tell somebody to do. And I realized, how the hell are you gonna teach a professional athlete how to push through obstacle if you can't do it yourself? And so that was the very day that I said no more. And I went online, I Googled how to start your own consulting company. And that's when, at the time, my company was named LA Mental Performance. And that's when I started my company. And I mean, I grinded. For, Let's go. I Starbucks, grinded for a year. Yes. And that's after a year of grinding it out, getting a lot of no's, doing a lot of stuff for free. That's mm -hmm. when I got the opportunity with the Yankees. And I got the job. I love that so much. Well, let's talk about, we talked about a little pre-call about you get your degree, you learn about this powerful thing we have, this six inches between our ears, this three pound mass in our skull, this, mu this muscle that, you know, schools teach us what to think. They don't teach us how to think. Now you got this knowledge on how do we perform under pressure? How do we, you know, elevate confidence, resilience, using imagery, process over outcome. But what you learn in, in the classroom is different than maybe what happens in like, on in a court on a field or you know whatever and when you get people reach out to you lauren i want to be i want to work for a pro team like you i mean you're with arguably the best professional organization in all of sports like congratulations you showed that starbucks dude what's up how do you like <laughs> me now how do you like them apples but um let's just talk about the difference between theory and actually putting this stuff into actual actual practice like what advice would you give people like you okay i have a degree there's not a ton of jobs in this place like what do i need to know now yeah. So there's a couple things. Um, it started, I kind of started to learn the application. Um, I was kind of thrown into the deep end when I had an internship at IMG Academy. And I was working under some of the best in the field, um, you know, Justin Sua, Angus Mugford, Josh Lifrak. And I remember having this conversation with Justin. And I was really frustrated because I was, out of all the interns, I was the least experienced. I was only a couple months into my master's degree. Every other intern either had finished their master's, had ha had a PhD, and or were working towards one. So I was definitely a fish out of water. And I just, man, my none of my talks were landing. And I just wasn't getting the impact I wanted. And I went in and I was frustrated. And I talked to Justin. And Justin told me something that stuck with me to this day. And he said, Lauren, we teach people not lessons. He said, if you want to teach a lesson, open up a textbook, read theory. If you want to teach people, we have to teach them with stories, things that connect emotionally. And so I think that that's where I started to learn how the, there's a science of what we do, and then there's an art of what we do. And the art comes in the storytelling. It comes with the relating. It comes with the evoking the emotion. Because what we know is that our emotion, the emotional parts of our brain, those are the things that make decisions and they control our decision-making. And so if we can really tap into that, that's where we can help people see how our decisions and the things that we are going out and doing are in the way that we're thinking and the way that we're choosing to establish routines and the things we're choosing to focus on, how that can all then play a huge role in our performance. And I've always believed that, that, you know, theory is great. Obviously it's the backbone of what we do. It's the science behind the things that we teach, but not every human fits into one. So we have to be flexible. 
we have to know the theory well enough to be able to then work with it based on which human that we're working with. And so I know for me that I, one of the best things when I got, have grad students call me, I'm like, read, read as many books as you can. Every book comes with a story. And if you can pull stories that relate to a principle you're trying to teach, you're going to grasp their attention. And so for me, it's all about, we teach people, not lessons. Powerful. That's a good one. Really good one. Uh, let's, let's talk about IMG. Can you educate people? Uh, it's been said it's the Hogwarts for athletes, but like give people a background, like what a day life was like in that place, you know, being around these, these top athletes, coaches, but you know, just, I would love to hear about that. Yeah, no. And I'm telling you, it is an athlete's heaven. You know, if you ever get a chance to go to IMG, it's like you walk in, you're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Um, but I think, you know, in the terms of it's been a while now, I think I was there in 2013. However, when I was there, we started off a lot of observing. So I would watch kind of the pros do what they do. And so I would take a lot of notes and observe the way that they would explain certain things, the way that they would dive into, um, dive into a story and evoke an, an audience's attention, the way that they would use visuals and video and all of that. So it was a lot of observation at the beginning um, with working with, and we would work with mainly bigger groups. And then I got to co-present. So then I would go into this co-presenting stage where I would, you know, either, I specifically remember myself uh, co-presenting a lot with, with uh, Justin and, um, and Josh a lot. And then you would kind of get the feel of how transitioning between people kept people's attention. So it was like all these different kind of strategies I started to learn on how to present effectively. Then you get awarded to do it on your own, to create your own session. So before then we were kind of doing these sessions from other, from, from IMG and from the team that they had created. And now we get to create our own session. And so I will never forget. I got to, um, I got to present with, uh, my fellow, I call him, I joke and say he wasn't really an intern. He was a clinical psychologist practicing, like he could have easily been one of the other guys. But I got to uh, co-present with him and we came up with our own session at the end and just crushed it. And I absolutely what, loved what, it. What was the topic? What was the topic? You know what? I wish I could remember what the topic oh. was because it was so long ago. But oh, yeah. what I do remember very vividly is how the feedback that we received and how well we did on our ability to, oh, you know what? I do remember what it was. It was uh, the, the people that you, the company you keep. So it was talking about your environment and the, and the, like the fountains and the drains and you know, the people that you're around. So that's, that's what it was about. But I do remember just the feedback that we got in terms of, we had a hundred, probably a hundred kids in what, this session. And we were able to keep the attention of the eight-year-olds and the attention of the 18-year-olds, which is not wow. anything to do where you're not dumbing it down too much to where the 18-year-olds lose interest, but it's not so complicated that the eight-year-olds don't understand. So that was a really big feat with that kind of uh, broad audience. That's so powerful. Great job. Now let's talk about how you got with the Yankees. I want to hear like what that process was like, uh, a memory maybe when you heard the news or your first training with the team or with the staff, maybe give us some some uh, different stuff on, on that, on the whole deal. I'm, I'm pumped. You got your, your, your shirt on right now. I can see the, the logo. Let's, let's go. Yep. Yep. Um, so it was, it was pretty. So when I was leading up to getting to going into baseball, I knew I didn't at the time I was like, I did not want to start my consulting company. Like that was mainly 
to get to where I wanted to go. So I used all that consulting work to build a resume because I knew my resume wasn't ready. If I right then got a call from a professional team, they wouldn't have even looked at me because my resume didn't have, didn't show a lot of that. So what I did was all of my consulting company really was, was targeting those, the targeting baseball quite frankly, quite a bit because I knew I wanted to work in baseball. So I targeted a ton of baseball. I worked with Sacramento State Baseball. I worked with um, Walbeck Baseball Academy here in Sacramento and uh, several others. And so when I, when they got, when I got the call that, hey, you know, send us in your resume, I had a bunch of baseball on my resume. So they're like, oh, she's got the experience. Perfect. So that's really, that was really important for me to get there. But I also think the other thing for grad students, and I tell almost every person this that I have a conversation with, is it's so important not to network, but to build relationships. And I guess the way that I was always taught, talk, taught networking was about, oh, well, just introduce yourself. You know, they know you, now you know them. Great, when you need them, you can call them. But that's not, that's not a good way to, to, to have that connection. So what I actually did was every four to six months, I put something in my phone to remind me to reach out to specific people whether it was, you know, and I would rem remember details like, hey, I remember your daughter is turning two last time we talked. How was her birthday party? Um, right now I'm finishing up my master's or, hey, I just got a new gig working with so-and-so. It's been a real challenge, but this is what I've learned. So now I've created a relationship, not just a network connection. So that when the job came available with the Yankees, a lot of these pro teams, um, I mean, they're now a little bit more open about putting them out on, um, you know, the Ask website. But before that, there was nothing ever posted there. It was only internally given to people already in the MLB. So that's where, when, when I would always reach out to these people that were already working there, they thought of me first time a, a job came up. So I got, had the Yankee job sent to me by three different people, which is Great awesome. Job. So big, big time, highly recommend doing that. Um, and then I'd say when I got to the Yankees, so it was interesting because the, I was the first, there's two females hired that year, one in our educational department and then me. So the, before then, the entire player development was all men. And they almost didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> they were like, we don't know like what we can say, what we can't say. So my first meeting, I think someone dropped an F-bomb and they were like, oh, sorry, Lauren. Like they were, oh, they were like really nervous about saying certain things around me. So I think there was a little bit of time to get comfortable with knowing like what they could and couldn't say and kind of just this change in environment. And then when I first went in, I didn't present right away. Now, I'll tell you, that wasn't my choice. I wanted to, I was like, put me in coach. Like, let me get in front of these players. Like I want to present. But we actually took a different route, which I thought made a really big impact. And my only job during my first spring training was just to observe and build relationships. So I'd sit in the stands with our pitchers and chat with them. During any group meetings, I would sit in and I would try and talk to some of the guys and I would try and get some relationships going. So by the end of, the tra of, of spring training, the guys were like, hey, why haven't you presented yet? They're like, hey, why isn't she? They were asking for me to present. So then by the time I got to present, it was like, I was no longer like, who's this random girl that's telling me how to train my mindset. It was, oh, she's been around. Oh, finally we get to hear what she has to say. And so for me, it was awesome. In my first session ever, what I did was I covered, we had these big whiteboards and I covered them 
in all the things that people had said to me when I told them I wanted to work in professional baseball. And it was, what? You'll never, you'll never make it. They'll never listen to you. Why would they listen to a girl? You didn't even play softball. What makes you think that you're going to be able to coach baseball players, but you don't even have a PhD. And it just went on and on and on. And I wrote them all out on all these whiteboards and our guys, like they just came in and just started reading all of these things. And I started the meeting off with, this is what everybody said to me when I said I wanted to work in professional baseball. And sure, I may not know what it's like to stand on a mound. Sure, I'll never know what it's like to, you know, run a, you know, like make a double play. And I'll never know what it's like, you know, to slide home. I'll never know what any of that feels like. But I know what it's like to be in a pressure situation in a big game. I know what it's like to have to show up for your teammates. I know what it's like when people are there counting on you. And all you want to do is perform your best, not for yourself, but for your entire team. And I said, and I know exactly what it means to build a mentally tough mindset. And so that's why I'm here. And it was really impactful because again, I got to, I got to kind of bring myself down to like, look at, I'm a human and it's not about playing. I'm not here to teach coach you on baseball, how to play baseball. I, gosh, we would be screwed if that was my role. (laughs) I'm here to help facilitate you performing at your very best and mastering the muscle between your ears. That's what I'm here to do. And so it was a wonderful set. I mean, I had a blast and it was just, it was really cool. And I loved the way that they thought about it because Chad and Chris and Hector at the time, they, those three guys pretty much had strategized, like, let's do it this way instead of the other way around. And I thought it made a big impact. Yeah, it's so important to, to build the, the, those connections first to establish that trust. You, sh- you shouldn't force mental skills on somebody. You know, you have to make it available and make it not weird. Make it open, make it normal. Um, and on the topic of m- making it normal, I think that's a, a mission that we both share is like, how can we make mindset training open to everyone? I mean, it's not just for athletes. I know a lot of stuff you're doing on LinkedIn and on your Instagram and Facebook, we're trying to raise awareness on, you know, these really powerful mental emotional skills that everyone should have, have, have access to. So if you're going to teach us right now, what are maybe a few of your favorite mental skills or drills, or again, what's, how can we take these theory of, um, you know, um, when things are hard, how do you respond or things like self-talk or do you have any, like your favorite either uh, skills to teach or are there certain drills mm-hmm. or things we can use right now, especially with COVID-19 with change, with adversity. Uh, I'm just curious. Yeah. So I would say probably my top skill and man, I think that most people probably you agree with this too in the mental field is awareness. Like Mm -hmm. you can't change anything you're not aware of. So I believe that number one is like really building that level of awareness, the better, the the best athletes, they know themselves so well. They are not only their biggest critics, but they're also their biggest fans and everything in between. So I think one of the things is establishing kind of a, um, a layer, uh, a foundation of awareness, because when we do that, the level of everything we do will rise. So for me, I like to, I love journaling. It's one of my favorite things. Now, some people don't like writing things down, so you can do it either on your phone or you can do it on a computer. Um, but the three questions I always ask to just kind of set the bounds is number one, what did I do well today? Or what went well today? Number two, what can I do better? Or what is, is there an area I can still improve? And number three, what did I learn from that? Because when we 
a lot of times we just dive into like, what do I need to get better at? And that's great. I, I obviously I put it in there as a second question, but I think it's really important to also exercise, not just the critic and trying to find an area you can improve, but also exercise the optimist that like, Hey, this went well today. This, cause no matter how bad something, how bad something is, we have to still exercise hunting the good stuff, hunting mm. the stuff that's there because success, like success is highly, highly, um, I guess it's contingent upon your ability to find the opportunity in the struggle. So for me, this is one small way we can do that on a daily basis. And then True. number two is when, no matter how good you are, you can always get better. The moment that you think you've got it all figured out is the moment you set yourself back is the moment somebody else is going to be on your tail and is going to take your place. And that's like every single guy that makes it to the major leagues, they say it's easier to get there than it is to stay there. Mm -hmm. Because everyone is pushing to be their absolute best. They're constantly evolving. And what we know is one constant is everything changes and we get to choose whether or not we're going to evolve with that change. So for me, I 100% agree that we should, oh, we should never be satisfied. We should still be working towards improving and getting better. And then that last piece is what did you learn? And actually this is one of my favorite parts because then we get to decide what that means. Okay. So if I need to do this better, that means that I probably need to wake up at this time instead, or that means I need to go to bed at this time instead, or, okay, if this is the good thing that happened, okay, well then maybe that means that I need to, how can I repeat that tomorrow? So we start to decide what that means when we answer the question, you know, what did I learn from that? So those are the three things that I'd say, like in order to build awareness, that something that we can do on a daily basis is answering those three questions. I love it. So self-awareness, improvements, and then using that information, that, that uh, loop of feedback to really put some things in place to, to learn and get better. I love it. Can you give us like a, a day in a life, maybe pre-COVID when you're working with the Yankees and the different players and the different levels, maybe give us a, a day in a life and maybe an example when, I mean, your skill set was used to help a player do, do better or help a, a team win. I, I, mean, I think people try to understand, okay, what, what does the role look like? You know, Lauren, I'm curious to see what your day was like, or like, you know, whole, whole like year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think every mental coach will tell you this, that no two days looks the same, but I will give you yeah. kind of a, an, an average day that would, what it might look like. So in the mornings, you know, I'm, I'm typically not where I am at right now, home. I'm usually in like either Tampa or one of our affiliates. And um, it usually looks like, you know, meeting with players early in the morning. So anywhere from sometimes I'll meet with them at 630 in the morning, but, or before that, typically our players have breakfast around like eight o'clock or whatever that looks like. And then they start their, they start stretching and they get out to the field. So for us, um, I'm either watching, you know, watching practice in the morning or I'm out on the fields with them or I'm working on a project that or something or a presentation that I might be presenting on later. And so then kind of midday they come in and they get ready for a game and then we're out there at the games. So I'm sitting in the stands, I'm in the dugouts and we're working with them either one-on-one -on -one or we're building relationships or we're chatting about certain topics. And then maybe after that, we might do a group session where there's a group session towards the end of the day before they leave and we're showing video and we're doing a whole group presentation before they leave that day kind of depends all those yeah. orders can yeah. change <laughs> but those are some of the things that that we do and then we're also working with our staff so we're checking with our staff constantly about some of our guys and our guys will 
the cool thing about our players, um, you know, the one thing that we obviously have is this confidentiality that we've been given that we don't have to, anything that the player does not agree to share, we do not share. And so the cool thing though about our players is they see the benefit of sharing. And so there's a lot of times where I go, hey, can I share this goal that we just created, you know, with your, your pitching coach? Because he's going to really benefit from knowing this. He can start to build some of the stuff around that. And they're like, absolutely. So then I'm going and I'm communicating this with the coach and whatnot. So a lot of that communication, it's so important because we are all one big team. And so yeah. we have to work together. And I love, you know, obviously having a, a growth mindset is super powerful and, and learning from failure. Uh, fail stands for first, first attempt in learning. Is there a failure that you are most proud of? For an example, of something that you're like, dude, I freaking messed that up. But you can reframe it and say, I learned a ton, but this was an epic fail uh, that you can share. Maybe you, you learned from something. Yeah, no, I have so many of them. That's why I'm like, uh, which one do I choose? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. I think there was one failure, epic failure that um, – I think is, has been so big in my learning and it was really early on. And one of the things that I, I, I guess I, I've always learned really well from people that are harsh with me. You know, I, I'm not sure if that was, that probably stems somewhere from like my past and how I was raised, but I, um, I hate when people beat around the bush, like, just tell me, like I can handle it. It might hurt, you know, but I'm, but I'll, I'll get over it. And at least I know, so I can then make move forward. And I remember there was this one athlete I was working with and um, man, he just, he lied a lot. He pointed blame. He never was doing what he was supposed to. You caught him in lies constantly. And I kind of let him have it. And I, you know, kind of laid it out how it is and how I guess I probably would have wanted to be told. But the problem was, and this is why it was an epic failure. I didn't have that relationship with him. And when you don't have a relationship that can bear the weight of truth, anytime you stack truth on top of that bridge, it'll break. And that's what, that's what happened. I lost that relationship for probably a solid year and a half. Thankfully I've worked to gain it back, but it wasn't the time. And so even though what I said may have been true, may have been right, it wasn't the time to offer that. It wasn't the time it was, and I wasn't the person to do it. So I could have maybe, you know, looking back, what I would have done is I would have, I would have communicated that with somebody that did have that relationship that either could choose how they wanted to handle it. But I was not the person that should have delivered that message. And yeah, for a while, man, it ruined that relationship. But I'll tell you, I learned a lot about timing and when it's appropriate and when that relationship is so strong that I can say that stuff. And so uh, that's been something that I've been really aware of with all of my other relationships, um, you know, since then. And um, I learned just so much from it. Yeah. Great job to reflect and learn from it. Uh, I'm glad that you got that, the, the player back. Uh, that's, that's oh yeah. Um, and I want to circle back. You mentioned how when you were a senior, you stopped playing because of injury and you were learning, uh, you know, lessons on the power of mindset, power of the mind. And you're like, why didn't I have this stuff when I was playing? Can you think back, like what was like either a lesson or a topic or an example that, man, if I knew this, then if I had this resource, this toolkit or this certain, um, when you're teaching the mental game, if I had this in high school and college, this would have been huge for me. Can you think back like that moment? Like, wow, this 
topic is a game changer. Can you think back on to like, if you could teach your younger self, like hey, here are a few things that, you know, based off of my, my learning in either in grad school or that one class when you're a senior or what you've learned now, maybe teach your self when you were 21 or 17 or, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was so worried about being perfect. Like I wanted to be the best at everything. I had to be, I had to have the best stats. I had to have the best, you know, whatever it was. I had to be the fastest. I had to be the quickest. I had to be the strongest. And I just, I, I held myself to this standard that's so unrealistic for any human being because we're, we're perfectly imperfect. And what I didn't realize is, is that who I am makes what I do so good. It, it's not the other way around. And it's not what I do that makes me so valuable. And that's how I had it. I had it backwards. Like anytime I achieved, I was like, oh, you are so good. Like you are this, you are that. But when I didn't achieve, it hit me to the degree that I wasn't enough, that I'm not good enough. And I think that that constant up and down is something that was really hard for me to manage to the point where when I was told I couldn't play anymore, yeah, I was really devastated, but I was also somewhat relieved. And I think that's why mm, wow. I no longer had to chase this person that I could never keep up with. And what I would tell myself and what the skills I would instill is I'd have to redefine success because I think my success was so closely tied to my identity that when I was good, I was good. When my results were good, I was good. When my results were bad, I was bad. And so I would talk about like my process, like what it means to be successful and success is something within our control. I can't control if I, if, you know, when the ball leaves my foot, I can have no control over that. Hopefully I score, but if I don't, that doesn't mean I'm a bad soccer player. That doesn't mean I didn't do everything in my power. And so I would redefine success to go, what is success to you? It is make, getting yourself in the right position. It is doing your best to make the right play. It is you know, A, B, and C, fill in the blank. And if I had that, I would have been able to rewire my brain to, to the things that I can control and just let go of the things that I couldn't. And I think the second thing I would work with myself on is identity. So because powerful. my, I mean, belief plus action equals identity. So if we believe we are something, and then when every time we act, it supports that belief and that becomes our identity. But I actually think we can rework that equation and we can go identity plus our desired identity. So who it is that we want to be plus an action that supports that new identity equals our belief about ourselves. And so I would do that work with me and I would go, who is it? Who's the type of person that you want to be? Or who is the type of person that you believe that you are? And what actions support that? What actions are you doing that, that support that? And if not, what actions do you need to do? Because every time you do that action, like James Clear says, you cast a vote for the person that you want to be. And I think, again, it was so, and so involved in my achievements with soccer that I sacrificed everything else just so I could be good at that. Wouldn't you say a part of the problem is um, parents <laughs> um, uh, demanding, you know, giving love and giving praise only when uh, a young athlete or a young, you know, music or in school 
it's more oh, outcome based. Deep. <laughs> yeah, more outcome. I, I wrote a book for, for parents because I kept hearing this. I would train young athletes, and the first question I'd ask them is, "Let's just talk about fear. Like right. when you make a mistake, like what are you really worried about? Like when that ball goes through your legs or you strike out with the base load, like what are you worried about?" And I, I did a survey. I kid you not, about sixty percent said like parents. Like the 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 ride home in the car or, you know, we taught, we worked on that drill, you know, for three hours this weekend, you couldn't, you know, or, or Billy gets ice cream. If he hits, like, if he gets three hits, if he doesn't get three hits, he doesn't get ice cream. So it's kind of like, man, parents need to learn the mental game too. And I tell parents, man, how you speak to your kids becomes their self-talk. So can it's we give, so can we give any nuggets for, for parents? I'm a father of, of five. So I'm asking for, for my own uh, sake too. Yes. Um, so you just like hit on such a big topic, Colin. I can't even tell you. That's exactly why I was the way that I was. Like I, my dad would only sh like only show me a ton of attention when I did well. He would pay me for every goal I would score. Wow. And I learned this later on why I was so achievement oriented and why achievement meant and, and result, not the things within my control. And so when I learned that, I was like, oh, this is how I was taught. And so what I would say to parents is that you have to praise the effort. You have to praise the process, not the end result. Because if you only praise the result, you're missing the big picture. We're, we're teaching us to focus on the things outside of our control. We're teaching us to focus and, and believe that this means we are good enough. This means we are this. Where, no, when you go out there, you are enough no matter what. And whether you win or lose, and if you lose, you're still enough. Yeah. No, and I, we, 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 some, we have the exact same upbringing. My, my dad loved me, but he was a college athlete, pro athlete, very intense. And he was just, he hated losing. And he coached a lot of the teams I was in. Or if our team lost, and I was usually the best player. So if I played bad, we'd probably lose. So um, I had the same experience. Uh, we've both grown together over, over the years, but I had the same experience. So it's kind of raising the awareness because a lot of these parents, they want what's best for their kid, but they don't realize that that approach is probably not the best approach. And if you look at the numbers, seven out of 10 kids quit sports by the age of 13. So why are they quitting? It's not because, you know, they're not having fun with their teammates. It's because there's way more to that experience than just the game. There's the embarrassment. So they, uh, they uh, link shame and fear to this, this game. And I guarantee the people who, who created, you know, soccer and men in soccer or baseball, basketball, I guarantee they didn't say, hey, let's, let's make a game that creates anxiety and depression and fear in kids and families and people. They didn't do that, but we're kind of making it bigger. It needs to be so i parents here here's a simple drill i i'll teach you to do i'll just show you lauren yeah i call i call this your truth triangle so i love triangle because it also means delta which means change so you can be the change so pick three words inside of that triangle that you're going to evaluate that are in your control not an outcome so the words i assess if i'm giving like a big speech in front of a thousand people or, or training a company or whatever it's i want to be authentic present and have courage so I'm just going to measure those three states and only I can determine, did I execute today? Am I determining how many reshares or followers or likes or praise or blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, was I authentic in that moment? Was I completely present? Because I, I trained my mind to be fully there. And was I courageous? Did you get my butterflies in alignment mm -hmm. and, 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 and lean into that discomfort? Because that, that's when I'm going to grow. Yep. So parents, do this drill with your kids. Have them pick, okay, I want to experience this state 
These are my focus keys. This is how I'm going to evaluate my, my performance. And parents, evaluate that. Don't evaluate stats. No. And we always, we always say this actually to our, our uh, parents of new drafts is don't be the box score parent. Like you have no, no idea what they're working on. You have no idea what the coach is having them train on. You have no idea what they, they may say success for you today is just getting that leg lift down. So don't read the box score because you have no idea that what that person's working on. And also you have no idea if that person's just trying to get through that game because there's something else on the other side. And I actually had this happen to me last year and we had a, um, we had somebody from out of town come in and um, we had a pitcher come off the field and pitcher was really struggling. And I have a really good relationship with this pitcher and, um, and this guy came up to me and he's like, why aren't you talking to him? You need to be over there talking to him. That kid is struggling. And I was like, look, it's, it's super easy to not know what's going on. But when he's pitching on that mound, he's also pitching. Every pitch is him trying to feed his family. Every pitch is him trying to make money so he can send home because his family has no money. He doesn't know how he's going to feed them next week. And so every time he struggles on that mound, it's not just because he can't throw a strike. It's because he doesn't know how he's going to feed his family. And I said, and we actually have had this discussion. He doesn't like it when I come right up to him. He comes up to me when he's ready to talk. Two innings later, he comes up to me, puts his arm around me. It's like, oh, that was hard. And we just, had a, we just had a great conversation. But we don't know what every person's going through too. And, and kids included, we don't know what's happening at home behind closed door. I was one of those kids where I you know, I love my parents, but my parents got divorced when I was really young and there was a lot of, uh, you know, chaos at home. So when I wasn't performing well, it wasn't always because I, you know, didn't want to perform well, but because there was stuff going on behind the scenes. And so I love what you said about what are those things that we can control that you are going to focus on for, are you these things, this game, are you authentic? Are you putting in the effort? Are you this? And did you do, if you did those things, then you, that was successful. And I'm so proud of you. Yeah, or I'll just say this, I love to watch you play. That's all yes. you say. Yes. This is why this is why grandparents are, are the best fans. Yes. Grandparents are not checking the box score. We kind of went on a tangent on the kids. I love it though. We're just letting it naturally flow where, where it goes. Um any lasting comments on uh where we can find you, where we can follow you? Uh you're on LinkedIn, you're on Instagram. Uh, prior to my uh, my last question, before you know, I'll let you maybe where we can find you. Yeah, yeah. So it just Twitter, uh, Lauren at underscore Lauren Johnson underscore on Instagram at Lauren Nicole Johnson and on uh, on LinkedIn, like you said, just Lauren Johnson. Turns out uh, after I got married and my last name turned to Johnson, there's a lot of Lauren Johnsons in this world, so that's why they're all different. <laughs> Well, I, you probably lead of all the people I follow. I probably reshare on my stories your posts more than any other person. Oh wow, that 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 means a lot. Thank you, Colin. Yeah, but but you you make good content that it's easy to consume and easily to reshare. Like just really simple, but powerful things to create. Again, you said number one is self awareness. Awareness precedes behavior change. So it starts with you know being able to coach yourself and be aware of where your thoughts are, where your habits are. Um, that type of stuff. So one thing you said uh, when you're working with recent grad students on to go read some books yeah, and don't ever stop learning. Um, and the, the big change for me, Lauren, was about 
there's probably like a three-year window, two-year window where I was just depressed, anxious, just struggling so hard. Um, but I wasn't doing anything about it. So I, I did counseling, which was great, but I had a mentor give me a list of 30 books on the power of the mind. And that's when everything completely transformed. I was like, Dorothy in Kansas, black and white. Now I'm in color and Oz. I just, I saw this new world. I was just like, I'm obsessed. I want more. I'm just learning so much and I'm seeing transformation. Um, so I always, I always, I, I'm an avid reader, but now there's like audiobooks. So you don't like to read, bro. You don't have an excuse. You yep. can go to audible and increase the speed to 1.75. So don't tell me you don't like to read. Okay. <laughs> so, true. um, and also podcasts too. So yep. the books that I wrote down here, I wrote the, the mind gym, Gary Mack must read. Yep. The other must read that I read a year ago that I, I quote as much as you do is James Clear's atomic habits. So a good. little, a lot, not a lot, a little. And one thing about how you see yourself, he says, identity is the number one driver of your actions and behaviors. So that's why we talked about how you see yourself. Yeah. And I also like Ryan Holiday. Stillness is the uh, key. Yes. That is just full of gems. So listeners, podcast right now, three books to check out this year. Stillness is the key. Atomic Habits, Mind Gym. Lauren, do you have like, you're, you're like top three that you're going to challenge us to go to go read hey, it's quarantine we got so you're not, you're not commuting yeah. so no. instead of when you would commute go on a walk and put the headphones in yeah i'd say number one can't hurt me by david goggins wow good number one. two the story doesn't really pick up until the sorry i'm i'm on my audible so i accidentally picked up the i push play oh, I, <laughs> I was looking through my titles so yeah. number one david goggins can't hurt me number two the obstacle is the way by Ryan, Ryan Holiday again. Yep. Yes. And number three, Grit by Angela Duckworth. Passion meets perseverance. Let's go. Yes. Um, good stuff. Well, I, I appreciate your time, Lauren. I really, you're just a ball of energy. You have so much wisdom. I can just sense the warmth and kindness in your heart, but also you are tough. I can tell when things go a certain way, you can roll up the sleeves and lock it in, which I love that <laughs> you can mesh both of those things. So um, well, thank, thank you, you for your time. Thank you for your time. I'm here to help you with anything you need. Um, but uh, any lasting comments, any final message, if you had 30 seconds to just wrap up your, 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 your philosophy and what you want people to know about, about mindset? Yeah, I think that, you know, we all have the same tool. We all have the tool of our brain. And I think that the most important thing is that you can build mental toughness one rep at a time. It doesn't have to be this big thing. It doesn't have to be this big. It, it's Big change happens in small moments. So take these small moments and just put in the reps on a daily basis. A little, a lot, not a lot, a little. It's the yep. start that stops people. Just get moving. Uh, Lauren, thank you so much. And we end every show with this phrase. The body has limits, but the mind is limitless. I love it.